0: Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, with the latest installment of the Housing Wire Daily podcast, where I get to talk to editors and reporters about the most compelling stories and sources they're covering. Today, my guest is senior real estate reporter, Matt Blake, and we'll be discussing fourth quarter earnings for real estate companies. But before we dive in, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Why should you price your Jumbo loans with PennyMac TPO? Is it the same great service you've come to expect with their conventional loans? Yes. Is it the competitive pricing they provide? Yes. Is it the fact that after closing, they don't sell off your borrowers so that you know they are in good hands? That would also be a yes. Get more information or price a jumbo AUS loan today at tpo.pennymac.com. Pennymac TPO is a division of Pennymac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender. In MLS, ID number 35953. Loans not available in New York. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. Okay, we are ready to go. Matt, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. You know, earnings season is always so interesting. And um, I wanted to talk to you about about three um, earnings reports that we got uh, last week. And the Mm -hmm. first one is Open Door. And your your headline on that is Open Door Loses More Money Than Zillow in 2021, which I thought was uh, a great headline. Very descriptive. So tell us a little bit about uh, what their earnings showed uh, for open door.
1: Yeah, so open door, as probably most people who are listening to this know, is an iBuyer, buyer, uh, meaning that they instantly buy your homes for cash and they try to make money by collecting a fee on the home and and then also reselling the home. And they've been around for about eight years, Eric Wu is their CEO. They're based in San Francisco. They went public last year. And so what the earnings show is that they're a very fast growing company. Their whole business is eye buying. So basically they buy homes for cash and the amount of homes that they bought for cash has more than doubled in the last year. But then at the same time, um, they're not making money from from their business. Basically, what's happening is, is that they'll buy a home for cash for say $350,000. And then maybe they'll resell it for, let's say $370,000. And so that sounds like they're making a $20,000 profit. But actually, what happens is that there's operating costs paying open door employees, paying people to revamp the house, making sure nobody, you know, goes in and graffitis the house or like throws a party or something at the house while it's open. And so because of all that, they're continuing to lose money. And I think in 2021, they lost $662 million. And that's more than Zillow. And that's notable because Zillow said, we are winding down iBuying because our price f- forecasting model doesn't work. It's too volatile. We don't know a way of how we can make money in this business. And so there was a lot of sort of, I don't want to say quite grave dancing from Open Door, but that was kind of a happy two weeks for Open Door between when Zillow made that announcement and Open Door's own third-quarter earnings. They were kind of like, we're the responsible iBuyer. We're the iBuyer that knows what it's doing. We have a business model that will last. And I think for a lot of people, what happened with their earnings this year uh, raises the question as as to whether they do have a sustainable business model.
0: So it is interesting that, you know, they were able to attract people who wanted to sell to them. So that that doesn't seem to be the problem to your point. It's like mm-hmm. it, it's what they it's their margin, what they were able to sell for on the secondary part of that. Um, and in your story, you really talk about the fact that some people are still excited, even though, you know, I mean, lots of startups lose money, right? Uh, so but there are people who felt like they still had a lot mm-hmm. of potential. So tell us a little bit about what your reporting found there.
1: Yeah, so uh, Yagal Arunian of Wedbush Securities, who's um, a pretty, in in my experience, working with him, a pretty informed analyst, he put out an analyst note the day after the earnings call where um basically saying that Open Door is the most misunderstood or one of the most misunderstood companies in real estate. And his argument is that basically they have found a way to make the real estate transaction digital. They as you say like finding people to like sell homes to them has not been a problem for Open Door. And I think where maybe the company really deserves credit is that they've kind of made mainstream, you know, this whole idea like we'll buy ugly houses, you know, we'll flip homes. Like they've kind of made sa- sort of like a seemly industry where you're like, you know, putting up like leaflets on like telephone pole wires and stuff like that into this sort of, you know, corporate, um, more mainstream like company. And so what uh Yigal thinks is that basically you know, they can pivot to profitability, that they can manage growth in such a way that um, perhaps um, if they're more conservative in the homes they buy, or perhaps if the housing market normalizes a bit, or perhaps if they make money from mortgage originations or, or title insurance, that they could find a way to be profitable. But basically what he's saying overall, and I think the sentiment of some, is that like it's too early to say that this is like a company that's not working. That iBuying is such, uh, or at least iBuying in this form is such an early model that that we kind of need to give it some breathing room.
0: Well, and to that point, uh, one of the one of the other stories you wrote last week was on OfferPad. So another iBuyer and and they they made money. So tell us tell mm-hmm. us about their earnings.
1: Yeah, and it's really interesting because um, I think that raises questions about open door and 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 their, you know, if, if there is an iBuyer that can um become profitable. So OfferPad is a slightly younger company. They are from uh, Chandler, Arizona, and they're they're at a much smaller scale than Open Door Zillow. They they buy and sell about half the number of homes annually right now. And yeah, they made a modest profit. They made a six million dollar profit. This was their first year as a publicly traded company. And I, I mean, that raises the obvious question. What are they doing differently from what Opendoor was doing and from what Zillow was doing? Like, like, what is maybe Offerpad doing better? And I'm not totally sure what the answer to that question is. I think that they're in slightly less expensive markets. They're in places, uh, they're focused in places like Charlotte, Jacksonville in the South that may be a little more cheaper than the markets Door is in. I think that one thing that maybe differentiates OfferPad is that they spend a lot more time kind of sprucing up the home, like instant home buying. You buy the home, you try to resell the home as quickly as possible. OfferPad really wants to sort of maybe work more to improve the value of the home, which means that they're inputting more like operational costs to like pay employees to like, you know, paint the home, like, you know put in new carpet, whatever that it may be. Um, but maybe that that maybe this strategy is paying off. And and I also think that they just kind of have lower overhead overall than than Open Door, So it's really interesting. Offerpad is not a company that, you know, people on Wall Street particularly value that much. I think the company's valuation is about a billion dollars, if that, on Wall Street. But you know, I think it bears watching that they they might be a company that uh, has a sustainable buy buying model.
0: I think you know the the idea of uh, making improvements and sort of flipping it right to me that's actually uh, way more fraught with peril because I mean you talk about all the things that you hmm. know, that's longer. And then, with we know that there's a labor shortage in, in those kind of uh, technicians coming in and doing that. Those kind of operators, we know that costs are skyrocketing. So it's interesting to me that that's their model, and and yet they've been able to see a profit because I would think that that's even trickier.
1: Yeah. Well, one thing that OfferPad does do differently is that the people who are coming in to um, you know refurbish the house, whatever it may be are usually company employees as opposed to open door uh, which you know hires does what most people do when like revamping a home like hires an independent contractor and so maybe that gives them like a steadier workflow i know uh, given the labor shortage um but you know i don't i don't know i think that you know it's it, it's so far whatever they're doing is is a slightly more stable model but you know, the, again, they just became a public company now. So if they ramp up the way that Open Door has, we'll, we'll see if they stay profitable.
0: Well, and they said that um, one of the things they attribute um, their revenue to is that they are more cost efficient. And so from, to your point, maybe having employees do that is the cost efficiency, mm-hmm. but um, it'll be really interesting. We, iBuying is, is a tiny part of the market, right? I mean, it's, it's a tiny part of the market, but it's interesting. And especially as you think about the way that they're trying to change the model of home buying and home selling, you know, we still think, you know, five years from now, are they still going to be a a tiny part of the market? Well, if they can't figure out how to make money, yes, but it has Mm -hmm. the potential to be much bigger.
1: Yeah. It's a very tiny part of the market. I would just say a couple of things about that. It is bigger in some places like Phoenix Atlanta, Charlotte, there are places in kind of your sunbelt cities where it is a little more significant, but absolutely it's a really small part of the market. The other thing is just that, you know, SoftBank, the Japanese venture capital company gave a bunch of, the SoftBank Vision Fund specifically gave a bunch of money to Opendoor. So the reason sort of like people like me write about iBuying a lot, even though, yeah, it's a really small part. Of the market is that this is sort of where people outside of real estate put money into real estate, and for a while this was seen as um, the way to "quote unquote" disrupt the real estate transaction. And so that's obviously being called into question with, with the way that Zillow performed and the way that Open Door is performing.
0: Yeah, you know, we do. I mean, the reason you're reporting on is we see the value of of keeping people up on this and and really tracking it. So we'll look forward to that. Do we have any more people? um, Do we have any more earnings coming out for iBuyers or are we done?
1: So we're done. And the reason why is that like, yeah, right. For all the like ink that I spill about iBuyers, I mean like that's all like OfferPad, Opendoor, we just had a exhaustive discussion of iBuyers with the exception of Redfin and Redfin had their earnings call I think a week ago and even though the brokerage part of Redfin is profitable, the iBuying part of it loses a lot of money, and so Redfin lost money this year, partly due to Rentpath, which is like this rental listings company they acquired, but but largely due to iBuying, and that's it. Redfin, Open Door, and Offerpad, and and Zillow winding down right now, and then, you know, brokerages like Keller Williams are sort of Realg, starting to do iBuying, but. Not really materially significant, I guess, right now.
0: Well, another great headline. If if people want to go back and read that OfferPad story and all the details, it's "What are you wearing to the OfferPad profitability party?" So, <laughs> really love that because it is you know yeah. celebrating that they that they made six million dollars. So, which they should. So now let's turn to some of the uh, uh, brokerage coverage. And EXP was one of the ones that you reported on last week and on their um, earnings. Tell us about about EXP.
1: Yeah, so eXp made money again. Basically, eXp, they're a real estate brokerage uh, based in Washington. They're most famous because they're the virtual brokerage. They have no office space. And basically, they have this like Sims second life thing where people kind of virtually meet each other. You know, like when when Mark Zuckerberg, you know, created the metaverse or, or, you know, discussed the metaverse this fall, like eXp has been doing... A version of that for like 10 years now and but basically with exp they're a very lean operation because most of the revenue that they make is revenue that goes right back to the real estate agent as commissions and so what happens is is that each quarter each year you see them making a profit but it's kind of a small profit and so i mean i just think it's a story of a company that's growing really quickly and seems to be really good in terms of like improving its brokerage market share. So I think what's in real estate eXp is well-respected. I think outside of real estate and in terms of like what company should I invest in, that kind of thing, there's some question as to whether eXp can do much more than just sort of recruit agents, have those agents do kind of mid-level deals and so this is a big testing year for EXP coming up because they've started a mortgage joint venture with Glenn Stearns. They're trying to do other stuff. They're trying to monetize their technology in a way they haven't before. So this is kind of, I think, a fork in the road for the company.
0: I liked one of the quotes that that you had uh, that you quoted them, which says, of the hypergrowth companies, we're the only one that's being consistently profitable, running a model that can be sustainable in the long run. We don't need to raise the money to continue to grow and sustain the brokerage. So definitely um, raising that there that, you know, that's a totally different model.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, like, you know, if, if you're going to sort of criticize companies for not making money, you need to acknowledge a company like eXp that while it's grown has stayed modestly profitable. I mean, eXp is growing in terms of, you know, sales volume, agent count, number of like real estate sales they do, they're growing just as fast as Compass and unlike Compass, they're actually making money.
0: Are they a company where they've seen where they see a lot of turnover? In other words, do agents join through EXP and then jump to other ships or what does that look like?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I think that like agent turnover rate is generally industry wide, according to Steve Murray, is around like twenty to twenty two percent. I think with EXP what's happening is that, you know, almost every other week, like you get a press release saying like we've now grown this many agents. Like we now we used to have that many agents, but now we have this many agents. I forget what the count is now, but basically Glenn Kelman, the CEO of EXP, he said on the call like one out of every twenty five um, real estate agents in in the, in the US and Canada is an EXP agent. And so I think you know, they're just ramping up the growth so much that maybe turnover is inevitable. But um, I think for now, they've been fairly successful in terms of grabbing agents from Keller Williams, from Remax, from smaller shops and and more just kind of growing their agent.
0: So interesting. And um, I know that we we looked at Remax. We looked at some other ones. Um, Anything else you wanted to say about about what this earnings season tells us about how real estate companies are doing right now?
1: Sure. Yeah. A couple of big picture things I would just say is one is that uh this was a record year for real estate as you know we've written about um persistently at Housing Wire. I mean, this is like home price appreciations went up um astronomically. And while it's true that inventory is very low, it's true there needs to be more houses on the market. Um, the number of home, the total number of homes sold is also at a record high. Um, obviously, the total number of homes sold is not equaling the demand for homes by any by any stretch. but that is to say that if the total number of homes sold is like higher than it has been in previous years and the prices are higher than they have been in previous years, you know, one would stand to reason that this is like a good time to be in the real estate business. And yet, we're seeing a situation. Maybe that's not true. I mean, maybe my premise, my maybe my like conclusion is is incorrect. But regardless, we're not seeing like companies make off like bandits. I mean, Relogy had a good year. Um, you know, we just discussed EXP had a pretty good year. But you know, you see companies like Compass, Redfin, Zillow. These are companies that you know have charismatic CEOs have a lot of outside investment name brand companies you know friends of mine who know nothing about real estate have heard of you know Zillow Redfin and they're they're hemorrhaging money and so I don't know like at what point these are all very young companies these are all less than 20 years old so maybe I'm being sort of short-sighted and focusing on the bottom line but at some point, these companies have to become profitable, and I guess my sort of persistent question is sort of how they're going to do that, and, and there hasn't been clear answers yet.
0: I think the other thing um, that she mentioned is the fact that, and, and some of the people mentioned in their earnings calls, is that you know, forward-looking, looking at what's coming ahead, one of the things that has helped these companies so much to the extent that it has is, is the uh, rising home price appreciation. So, for instance, mm-hmm. in the iBuying model, if if you buy something, even if you only own it for two months, I mean, it's possible that it's appreciated in those two months, which is not normal, right? in In most markets, that's not, that yeah. hasn't been normal until the last two years. So, you think about what that looks like when we get back to a more normal market. Um, you know, it, it it could be a real challenge. And I I can't remember which one of the companies said that, but they, you know, one of the questions they got on the earnings call was like, well what what happens when prices stop going up so fast and they you know they did acknowledge that like yeah that's that's a concern we we understand that this can't continue at this pace forever right no one mm-hmm. knows exactly when that will start slowing down but it certainly has helped them in the short run
1: yeah absolutely and so i mean that raises the issue that things could be even worse for open door going forward if if prices stop appreciating the way that they have so yeah and I think that you know what you're seeing I mean the stock market I don't I am not an expert at the stock market I don't know why stocks go up and down I can't try to explain it to you but I mean you see open door after their earnings call their stock went down like sort of 30% or something and um and so their stock I think was like trading at $24 a share in November and now it's about at $8 a share the last time I checked on Friday um, but, but the point of that from, I think it goes, goes along with what you're saying, which is that, yeah, if, if you're not making money now, when are you, how are you going to perform if, if home prices appreciate at sort of a quote unquote normal historical level?
0: You know, we had another, um, article, it was written by Brooklyn Hahn about home builders, because of course, a lot of people are like, ah, oh, the, you know, the answer to our inventory shortage and some of these problems is just, um, you know, build more homes. But that that hasn't proven to be the answer. And even though I think the article says there are like 1.7 million homes under uh, construction right now, that's, that's still going to – it's still going to be difficult to meet the demand because we have that demographic – group of people, millennials, coming into their peak home buying age. And there's just, you know, I mean, there's just a tsunami of them. And so we can hardly keep up. But in addition, we have the, you know, pandemic conditions of um, shortages of supplies, uh, lumber going up, shortage of labor. And so it's it's hard to see how in the next little bit any of this changes because that home buyer demand is is projected out to 2024 at least with the millennials. And so we have at least two more years of that. And no one can really say when, when these other things are gonna change that might bring more inventory online.
1: Yeah, it's really disconcerting. The only thing I would sort of add to that is just kind of, I was talking with uh, with Brooke Lee Han about, about that story. And basically like when Housing Wire, when we covered sort of the lumber shortage a year ago, there was this hope that this is going to like ebb by the summer. And it just hasn't. I mean, basically, we're in the same, you know, back when, like, there was this almost hysteria and, you know, somewhat justified around, like, lumber prices. We're basically in the same situation we are, like, from a year ago. There's just, as you say, there's just not a solution in sight as to, you know, how to sort of make the supply chain, you know, unsnarled, or if you will, yeah.
0: And I think, you know, that... That contributes to, you know, people who didn't get in a year ago because they were like, well, it's just too hard to find a house. It's too hard to build a house. It's going to take right. too long. That, I'm not sure any of that has improved in the last year. If you didn't buy last year, you're in you're not in a better spot this year potentially, right, as far as the market goes. Like maybe you are personally in your financial life, but – the market, you know, didn't cool off significantly. You're still seeing multiple offers on homes and you still have the same home building challenges. So, it does make you wonder like at what point does it start to break? Mhm. Mhm.
1: Yeah, and if you're a home buyer right now and, you know, I talked to real estate agents and for a while real estate agents to be like somewhat precise about this, like maybe like back in June, July, like when we were at Gathering of the Eagles in Colorado, I talked to agents and they were like, you know, we're telling our clients to sort of sit things out for a bit now. Maybe things will like return to normal, like sort of seasonal ebbs and stuff like that. But now it's like, I mean, we had some of the like returns to more like seasonal up and downs is happening right now, but like, yeah, like, it's just like indefinite how long this is going to go on. So if you're like a home buyer, you know, like, like you mentioned like a millennial, like if you're like, 35 years old, just got married, just settled down or something, looking to buy a home. You know, it's like gosh, like I can't afford this, but then it's like when am I ever going to be able to afford this? And so yeah, there's no like and yeah.
0: At the same time we've seen rent inflation. So it is it's a tough market for especially first-time home buyers, really anybody. Um, and then you think about all those people who refied into a really historically low rate. What is going to be the impetus for them to sell to make room for these new buyers? Right, if if we're just dealing with the inventory that we have, if there's not a lot of new inventory coming online, what is the motivation for them to, you know, uh, buy into a higher interest rate? So, very interesting times for real estate for for the brokerages, for the agents, and um, you know, for the home buyers.
1: Yeah, that, and that's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about that about, right, like there's this whole swath of people, the mortgage reporters probably have a exact number that like refines their mortgage last two years, because prices, interest rates were so crazy low. And yeah, like you said, they have like, no motivation to sell right now. And if anything, they're scared about, you know, being able to find a new home.
0: Well, we had been uh, reporting, you know, the housing tenure, the length of time that people stay in their houses has been growing um, every year, right? So now I think we're at 10 years, 10, 11 years. It had been five years, you know, quite a while ago. So I think that's just going to add to the housing tenure. Now people are refied into a really good rate um, unless something changes. They have more kids, they outgrow their house, they want to downsize, you know, something like that. So. Well, Matt, thank you so much for giving us the um, inside look at some of these stories that you've been covering. Always great to talk to you, and and we will continue to uh, look to you. What do you have coming up this week that we should be looking for?
1: Sure. So I am having this week, after sort of all the earnings call coverage, I'm sort of doing a little bit of a postmortem on that in terms of looking at kind of the 10Ks, which are these yearly reports that... um, These companies file and and they show things like board of director resignations you know employee counts you know going down or going up kind of things that aren't initially explained and you can kind of pick off a few interesting stories about that for example like eileen murray the head of uh, finra was on the board of compass and she just resigned so looking into why that happened and then also this week um, I will probably have a story come out on uh, NFTs in real estate and basically whether, you know, buying and selling real estate using non-fungible tokens on a blockchain uh, can be something that, you know, actual, you know, people will do in the future or, or whether it will ever sort of advance beyond the novelty stage. And you'll have to read the article to find out that.
0: I was going to say, really interesting stuff on both of those accounts. Can't wait to read it. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today.
1: Yep. Thanks a lot, Sarah.
0: Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay
1: competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium
0: Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingwarrant.com forward slash membership.